when Coke acquired Odwalla and we introduced to the marketing people on the Coke side, I had a few of them come and I put blindfolds on them and had them taste the Odwalla top selling drinks. When I put the green one in front of them, they all said, oh, wow, this tastes like strawberries and orange. And they take off their blindfold and they'd be like, holy crap, I can't believe we just drank that green drink. Hey, hey, this is Alex Osterley, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Food Marketing Nerds. We're changing gears a little bit in today's episode, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. On the show today, we've got Bar Hogan, who's the owner of Bar None Consulting. And we're going to be talking about setting new products up for success by appealing to your target market's flavor preferences. Bar is a product development consultant with an extensive background in creating healthy and delicious food and beverage products. Before spending nine years at Adwala creating products that they still sell today, Bar helped open one of, if not the first, Whole Foods restaurant in San Francisco. In other words, Bar was creating nutritious products way before it was trendy. In this episode, you're going to learn what flavor profiles you should focus on if you want to market to millennials versus baby boomers, how to approach product development differently if you're planning to sell to mass market versus niche, what Bar tells every food entrepreneur with a new product idea, and a ton more. So let's do this. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Bar, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. So can you give our guests just a little bit of insight into into your background and and what you do now? Yeah, so I uh, started my career as a chef caterer in San Francisco did that for many years, worked at Project Open Hand in San Francisco, which was a nonprofit that fed 2,000 people with home-cooked meals every day, seven days a week, even on holidays. Uh, I was their meal supervisor. And that led me into getting to know more about nutrition. I also had a juice bar and Whole Foods restaurant, and this was before Whole Foods was a grocery store. It was actually the meaning of the word of Whole Foods is eating Whole Foods. And the restaurant was actually called Val 21, and it was one of its first restaurants of its kind in in San Francisco. Um, And from there, I uh, got a job at Odwalla and did 10 years of product formulation for them, doing all their fortified smoothies and energy bars. Currently, I am now working as a consultant in the natural food space. I basically help entrepreneurs. I do their recipe development and help them bring their ideas to market in the form of either a smoothie or a bar or an energy mix powder or uh, I've done sauces. I've done, I've done quite a few things. I've even done drink beverages for a restaurant chain. So, hmm. What kind of drinks? They were sort of creative uh, agua fresca type drinks, you know, sort of like a watermelon drink, some coconut water drinks, just different beverages that they could offer their clientele instead of the fountain, healthy lemonades and things like that. Interesting. And so when a new client approaches you, what's the first thing that you guys do to get started on a product? Well, first I try to talk them out of it. And then... (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Um, I think people have illusions of grandeur that they can become famous and their product is so fantastic and that they can sell it and make lots of money and sell their company in five years. And that's just it's just not the reality most of the time. Um, It's a very difficult business to get into. It's also very expensive. So I figure I do people a favor by saying, well, if you don't have a million dollars and you can't raise it in the next two years, then don't bother. (laughs) Um, Most of the time, because they're entrepreneurs, they don't listen to me. So we go (laughs) on to the process of discussing their um, idea 
And then I start literally making prototypes based on what they want. So for example, a client that I have who has a baobab powder that is a drink mix, um, it's called Bumba Root Foods. And I met Sarah Andrews several years ago. She came to me and did not take my advice, decided to start her her business called Bumble Root. <laughs> and uh, we, I literally, she set, got me the baobab powder, which is from, it's from a baobab tree, which is in Africa and Zimbabwe. And she had made a, relationships with farmers in Zimbabwe to actually sell the baobab here. And she gives proceed, you know, money back to them. And so she has smoothie mix and then she has sort of individual drink packets that you can put in your water. So I did those for her and, and she was a, a joy to work with. And another client of mine was uh, in San Francisco and she, her frustration was with uh, energy bars and all the allergens and not being able to find decent allergen free or free from food bars for a myriad of different issues for her specifically trying to find a, a facility where you could actually make a bar that didn't process nuts was very, very challenging. Her company's called Zigo. And uh, Colleen Cavanaugh is also a great person to work with. And she's just been extremely committed to getting rid of the five major allergens and being able to provide a really delicious energy bar for people who, who can't tolerate any of those allergens. So those are just two small examples. I could go on, but... <laughs> so for your more established clients who are who already have distribution and are looking to add another product, or if it's a, a restaurant chain who is trying to develop a, a new a new drink. From a flavor profile standpoint, what is the difference between maybe a, a niche product versus a, a mass market product in the in the flavor profile? <laughs> Boy, that's a conversation I feel like I have on a regular basis with people, <laughs> and that's it's a it's a tricky one too because I. One of the things that I find really interesting is, especially right now, I think sugar is, you know, everyone's trying to consume less sugar. It's a very hard thing to do, especially to retrain your palate. So I would say that more mass market products tend to be a lot either saltier or sweeter than more niche products, which tend to be, because the niche products, I almost feel like a lot of those people are extreme label readers. So they you know, they're looking at the calories, they're looking at the sugars, they're looking at the ingredients. And the more mainstream shopper is looking just for, you know, easy access to great food, you know, or just get get it to me and price points important and but it's got to taste great as well. And, you know, it's a gross generalization. But it's like, I literally have this conversation all the time with like, okay, well, this is this flavor profile is good, but it's not mainstream enough and i'm like well <laughs> sure coffee vanilla chocolate those are mainstream flavors <laughs> but if you're really trying wanting to be a little bit different if you look at the grocery store now uh, in the refrigerated section how many cold brew coffees are out there <laughs> so many. it's pretty astonishing how many are out there and I'm, i have not done this but i think it would be really interesting to do is to open them and taste them all and see how different they actually are because coffee is, and it's a very personal thing too, right? You're always, you're, everyone's got their own set of taste buds. Everybody's got their own certain expectations of what tastes great. Um, I mean, I just made a product for a client yesterday. I thought it was really great. And it's, to me, the product was delivering on so many levels. It was a probiotic, nut milk. It had spinach in it. So you got some greens, you got your hmm. probiotics. It was low sugar it also had this really cool ingredient called moringa, which is a, a plant out of Africa again, 
Mm-hmm. Um, really so it was like a, it was yeah it was a really it was a green smoothie concept right with cashews with the probiotic in it and I put just you know it's like you have to worry about pH as well so if your pH is too high you know that makes it a nightmare to process to sell the food so you know you're I'm playing with all these different elements like I have to have it taste good but it also has to have below you know 4.5 pH. So I, I thought the product was really great, and I got a call back saying it was boring. And I was like, really? That's so interesting. Hmm. <laughs> and they were like, well, why don't you put banana in it? And I'm like, well, because if I put banana in it, the pH is going to go up above 5. So, you know, it becomes a really difficult – and they were like, well, this – and I'm like, well, you think this is boring, but can you take it for me and put it next to the rest of the lineup that it's going with and taste them all together? Because to me, it's very complimentary. The, the the lineup that this drink is going in has several different fruit flavor, very fruit forward. They are definitely higher in sugar than most of the other products that this company does. But the premise is they all have probiotics in it. So they're selling well, but they're selling because they're not extremely challenging. They're actually very simple flavors that people go, oh, I understand what that is. And it's true. that So they see a green one, they go, well, what's that going to taste like? right? Because you see something green, you go, okay, this is going to be intense, right? Because kale, kale, frankly, is not a delicious juice. There's no way that anybody drinks kale juice and says, mmm, <laughs> can't wait to have another one of those. Um, and spinach juice is also, I mean, it's it's juicing vegetables. It You really, when you, when you press it down and you're extracting all the liquid and the chlorophyll, it has a tremendous amount of flavor, right? And so how do you make that flavor and the nutrition in that flavor, how do you mask it so that people can drink it and say, oh, I got what was really good for me, but I also enjoyed it instead of holding their nose and like doing the wheatgrass shot, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I like, to, I like to create products that you get the pleasure out of also nourishing your body. And so as far as the flavors go, how do you objectively look at a flavor once it's been produced and formulated and make sure that it's something that's, that's actually going to sell? God, that's, you know, that's funny because at Odwalla, that was always a really interesting one, too. Because if you, if back in the day, Odwalla had its own coolers, right? There were own branded coolers, and they, we had something like 30 some odd SKUs in there. And, and we used to always struggle with, well, how do you know? In fact, we knew from consumer research that people would come to the cooler and they would just buy superfood and they wouldn't see anything else because they only, they knew that superfood was what they wanted. So it was like, well, let's create another superfood, right? So we tried purple superfood and we tried, you know, so it's like, well, what does purple taste like? And it's it's really hard. To, it's a very hard question to answer at the end of the day because Mango Tango was a number one seller because it was mango, right? And people love that fruity mango taste. So they picked that up. And if you didn't like mangoes, you didn't buy it, right? But superfood, what the hell does superfood taste like? And it's green, <laughs> right? But in fact, I remember this is this is a funny story. When, I, um, when Coke acquired... Odwalla and we had to do um be introduced to the marketing people on the coke side uh I had a few of them come and I put blindfolds on them and had them taste the Odwalla top selling drinks so they would taste them without knowing what they were tasting and when I put the green one in front of them they all said oh wow this tastes like strawberries and orange and uh, and then they'd open they'd take off their blindfold and they'd be like holy crap <laughs> we just drank that green drink <laughs> Um, but it was a really fun exercise because then they realized, you know, you can't have preconceived notion of what green's going to taste like, right? It's, it's a, you don't, you expect it to taste yucky, 
but it was actually very, very fruity. You know, I mean, the number mm. one ingredient in superfood was apple juice, for God's sake. So, yeah, it was fruity. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. And so before this interview, when we were talking, you, you mentioned that between the generations, there's it's, it's not just between mass market and, and niche, but it's also generational preferences and, and tastes that vary across these products. So what is what are the differences between the different generations and what kind of flavors that they prefer? So when you're born, you have billions of taste buds, right? And so and breast milk is actually very sweet. And as you get older, your taste buds just literally start dying off. So if you think about little kids and how they get persnickety about eating types of foods, a lot of it's because they have so much, it's there's so much going on in their mouth that they can't, it's like too much to deal with, right? It's a sensory overload. Um, so like, you know, sweet potatoes, very simple, very straightforward, right? Babies usually love sweet potatoes. And then as the kids get older and older, it's like they get scared of the sweet potato. <laughs> so I, I talk about kids that get to the age of like three to sometimes, unfortunately, 12, where <laughs> they eat the white diet because it's just, again, sensory overload and they can't handle things that have, you know, too much flavor or too much color. But then it gets to a point when they're teenagers where it's like, I don't, I don't know things mellow out or they just become more adventurous and they just start exploring the world, the world through food. And that goes on for quite a while. And then, of course, you hit your 60s and 70s and your taste buds literally start to die off. And I think about my grandparents when, I, when they were in their late 80s and 90s, they would drink coffee with their every meal. Hmm. And I was like, coffee with every meal? And it's like because they weren't tasting anything. And so they could just drink coffee and have turkey and it didn't matter, you know. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so that's just a very broad, quick there's there's so much research on taste buds. It's it's fascinating. And one of my favorite books that I um, I have to tell you about that I thought was really interesting was I'm going to say his name wrong, but he's a famous chef in Chicago. I think it's Grant Ashas is his name. His restaurant's called Alinea, and he actually uh, got cancer of the tongue, which is for a chef. I mean, you can't even imagine how horrible that is. And he went on a very um, intense process of literally losing his taste buds and then when he mm. was cancer free the first thing that came back for him was sweet and that's when he knew he was better but so it's so interesting that sweet is like the number one thing that people taste no matter how old you are and as you get older like for me i there are things that are, i would say probably about 85% of the products out there are far too sweet for me. I just, I can't handle sweet now. As I get older, I actually more, as I say, as I become a bitter old lady, I actually <laughs> really appreciate things that aren't quite so sweet. And so, and that's, you know, it's, and I remember because my mom's the same way. She just, there's things that are just far too sweet for her. And again, you know, it goes to that black coffee thing, you know, just like drinking black coffee because it, on the other extreme of sweet being overpowering, bitters can be very comforting. Hmm. And so if somebody approached you and said, okay, I, I have this product idea, or we want to add another product to our line that we think millennials are going to be our target demographic. Mm -hmm. How would you approach that from a, a flavor standpoint differently than if they wanted to target, say, Gen X or baby boomers? Yeah. So I think the millennials actually are a really exciting group because they, they are the ones who are driving all this really sort of going into other countries and more flavors and they're much more adventurous in terms of trying new foods. The fact that we're getting all these fast casual restaurants that aren't just 
burger joints and, and pizza places, which are great and they're also there. But there's a lot of interesting, fun, new concepts coming out that are geared towards millennial palates, which like to actually travel via their food on a regular basis because, you know, we can't all just get on a plane and, and go to Thailand or Indonesia, right? We can we can also explore at a restaurant or just at lunchtime. So I think millennials, I, I would always say if you're really targeting a millennial, then you want it to be bold, exciting, and have some really fun ingredients. Now, that's not mainstream. That's very millennial. But like they would see a bold flavor like ginger and expect to feel and taste the ginger, right? I mean, look at Reed's ginger ale. Canada Dry is not satisfactory. You've got to, I'm, and I'm one of those people, I love that extra ginger Reed's because it's, it's got ginger in it, you know, and now there's ginger beer. And so it's really exciting that people are getting more adventurous and wanting to try new things. And that's what makes, so targeting, you know, trying to make a product for the millennials, bring it. I would love to do that any day. (laughs) Uh, Baby boomers is a little tougher because again, they're they're an aging population. They probably, you know, vanilla is the number one flavor in the world still. So Mm -hmm. you probably want to go on a more mainstream chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and not be quite quite as bold or exciting. Hmm. That's interesting. And I'm I'm wondering if the millennial taste or the the stronger flavor profiles is will eventually start to grow into being mainstream. Yeah, I mean that's exactly. I mean, I think that's every person who works in a major corporation, <laughs> food corporation, or you know, even be it a, a fast food restaurant chain or or you know, just a, a juice company or a liquor company. I mean, look at all the creativity that's coming out of there because they're trying to get to that consumer. If you think about it, it's so much fun for people who work in research and development in those food companies because they're actually getting to do something different. I mean, I see it across the board. I see it in fast casual dining. I see it, in, you know, I mean, even look at even I saw an ad for um, Red Lobster and, you know, some of the decadent dishes that they were offering out there, they wouldn't have offered five years ago. Yeah, I definitely think there's an, an awakening or an emergence of uh, real ingredients and what the expectation of what that's going to taste like. And so I, I know you mentioned one of your favorite books was The Chef. I can't remember his name. Um, Grant Ashots and the restaurant was called Alinea. And I really, I, I mean, I read food books all the time. I mean, one of my favorite books is Blood, Butter and Bones. You know, she's a chef like me. So his book was called yeah, Life on the Line. Because not only do we all work on the line in a restaurant, but his life was on the line with that cancer. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was a really great, great book. And there's so many wonderful food memoirs out there. It's one of my favorite genres. I don't read marketing books. I read those books. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely link those up in the show notes for anybody who wants to go and take a Blood, look. Blood, Butter, Bones is a great, oh, God, such a great story. And, you know, any, usually any, I mean, I haven't read it yet, but I know that um, the Jacques Pepin, um, his his memoir is a wonderful story about, you know, becoming a incredible chef and moving to America and then having the TV show and, you know, even reading Julia Child's love letters to her husband those are it's always just nice to escape but also be hear other people's stories around how food has been important to them and that to me is a very comforting thing because food has always been important to me and clearly we all need it right (laughs) yeah yeah. last question so i'm sure you're busy with your consultancy do you have any tips or tricks that you use to stay productive i have to say music especially if when i'm doing product development sometimes it's very hard to get in and starting a new product 
in the kitchen by yourself. And music really helps me be more productive that way. I mean, there's also writing the lists. I write lists all the time. When it comes down to just sometimes it's just me in, in the kitchen having to figure out, you know, how to make this product taste great. I just need music to help me <laughs> stay productive. Mm-hmm. Well, Barr, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you, all your, your insights and, and uh, you answering all these questions. So where can people go to find out more about, about your consulting firm and get in, in contact with you if they want to maybe pursue doing a new product with you? Yeah, so I um, I'm, I can't say that I'm extremely good at the internet stuff. I do have a website that's bar none, and it's bar-none.net, bar none consulting. Uh, I have a Twitter page, it's Flavorista. I'm on Facebook as well, just under my name, Bar Hogan. But, you know, so much of my consultancy comes from word of mouth. I mean, literally, Odwalla was such a great place to work, and I, there were so many people who went from Odwalla They've been phenomenal to referring people to me, and I've not I've not really been very good at, at promoting myself, <laughs> and you could tell by looking at my webpage. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I'm on LinkedIn, and I have there's more information probably on LinkedIn just because I, I try to keep that up to date. Well, thank you again, Bar, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thanks for listening to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast. For interview transcripts or to download your free social media ebook, check out foodmarketingnerds.com.